Hi, this is Caleb. And I'm Johnny. Um, and we will be analyzing Cyberpunk 2077. Again. Um, and if you want, you know, a description of Cyberpunk 27, I think you should... 2077? 2077, whatever. I think you should <laughs> check the first podcast. Yeah. Um, so we're going to skip over that for this one. And I want to talk a little bit about um, the marketing of... Cyberpunk 2077 by uh, CD Projekt Red. When I was doing research on the game, I found an entire article on, like, broken promises in marketing that is analyzing just um, Cyberpunk 2077. Um, So, like, their major argument, not really totally applicable, but I think it's really interesting um, to, like, get a little context of the game. So it was a highly anticipated game, um, and like a journalist even described it as a giant RPG with a chance of becoming the most important game of 2020 or even the entire generation. And by the entire generation, they're referring to like eighth generation consoles. Um, and then despite that, the game was delayed three times uh, before it was released. So it was set to be released in April of 2020, and then it was delayed to September of 2020, and then it was delayed to November of 2020, and they were like, oh, this is the last delay, we promise. And then it was delayed to December of 2020. Um, A couple of those delays, they claim, were for, like, testing and, like, fixing bugs or whatever. Um, But... I mean, really hmm. quick, just, like, also, like, the time frame of that also is the pandemic, so... It is. So I feel like that also has, like, a... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Most of the developers were working remotely, so that's understandable. Um, and so some of the promises that they broke was the option to play without killing NPCs. Um, so basically there was supposed to be a way to play the game without, you know, ever having to kill someone, a less violent version. That's like how unique each gameplay was supposed to be. Um, they also promised a multiplayer mode, and then they said that the multiplayer mode would be released after um the game was released like as like an update or dlc and that never happened um and then they promised an open story with many diverse path options for replayability but um when people actually got the game they realized yeah like it's still open world you know like you have three different classes to choose from so yeah you can get like three different gameplays at least but Beyond that, the choices that they were promised weren't really there in terms of, um, like, you could play the same class twice and have a completely different gameplay. And then, just as a consequence, it was review-bombed so much that Sony actually pulled it from the PlayStation Store and offered people refunds. Yeah, that's insane. (laughs) Big flop. So, to continue on, um, we'll, we'll be, in this podcast, we'll be discussing um, the portrayal of disability and wealth inequality in the game, um, especially, like, analyzing the impact that may have on, like, audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at the very beginning of the game, the first thing that, like, stood out to me was there was this game, like, talking about mental health and specifically for the street. Um, I think it was a street kid. Street kid, yeah, um, type which, you know, I feel like that does not play for the yeah. corpos or the other, the nomads. Um, I think but- it's also important, like, the street kid, like, intro in the beginning part of the game is, like, 
your street kid background and you're in like this dive bar so that's where you're finding yeah. these games that are all centered around depression and mental health and yeah but i don't think you can actually play you could you could yeah it's like a small little like it's not a lot of gameplay but it's like a, you could actually mm-hmm. interact with the game i think i tried interacting with it and i just messed up is <laughs> like i hit the wrong button maybe <laughs> um and then another thing that was a really big standout for the game was the amounts the massive amount of homelessness mm-hmm. um in the game um like there's a huge wealth disparity between the people living in like the street versus you know the corporate the corpos higher yeah. ups you know yeah and you can actually play as a corpo it's one of the three classes um which is nomad street kid and corpos but in terms of like if you're not playing as a corpo um your contact with them is limited compared to your contact with like people in poverty Mm -hmm. um like pretty much anywhere you walk around the map there are homeless people or like people panhandling and stuff like that yeah um and like looking at that connection it kind of made me think about what like what are the connections between wealth inequality and disability in the Mm -hmm. game um, because, you know, a huge proponent of the game is, you know, the body modifications and having, yeah. you know, those, um, like, alterations to your body. Um, but, like, a large portion of the population, especially living in Night City, you know, like, in the streets, they are not able to have access to, like, a safe, you know, yeah. safer, um, like... Body mod- modifications. Kind of, like, similar to, like, you know, in just real world, like people not having access to accurate medication and yeah um but yeah what do you think yeah um i also kind of like talking about just like the body mods it not really so much in the vein of like income inequality in the game but um just in terms of like disability representation um i think like the culture of body mods kind of in a way reinforces the trope of like needing to fix disability someone needing to make up for their disability and then like there's also like the trope of the disabled person who gets a prosthetic and now their disability is suddenly like a power or like a benefit to them like oh you know if they were were never disabled they would have never gotten this mobility aid or prosthetic Mm -hmm. that gives them extra power not just makes them function yeah um and like also just kind of like since everyone like a large like the majority of everyone a part of the in this you know cybertronic world um cyberpunk world I should say a large I feel like a large proponent of them have the um yeah so thus it's like you know what's like how can you distinguish you know whether or not a person has a disability or they're just doing it just for the aesthetic yeah and that's also like a double-edged sword as like is this person doing it for the aesthetic or are they disabled? But then it also like gives a kind of anonymity to disabled people because it's like, Oh, I just did this for the aesthetic. Um, and yeah, some people, you know, don't like disclosing things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And that's really fair. Um, yeah. Um, just like to also like double back on like, and like other representations of, Mm -hmm disability in video games because it's usually i feel like here it's kind of mysticized and made into like you know 
yeah, I have these cool, you know, like, arm, you know, like, robotic arm, because I don't have another arm, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of making it, like, into this huge, like, glamorized yeah. disability, kind of similar to, like, previously when we talked about the, like, Grand Theft Auto, um, mm-hmm. what was his name, Woozy? Woozy, um, I know that's not, like, his, his full name, but that's what he's called most in the game, mm-hmm. um, and, like, he, he's kind of exoticized in his disability and his race combined um and he has like he's blind but no one would know he's blind because he wears sunglasses and he's just so lucky that he can function through his life as if his disability was never there yeah no that the part about like the lucky was very like you could tell pulled from the you know racist racist tropes. tropes yeah yeah exactly um which is you know awful i feel like um, like cyberpunk does a lot of the like i feel like i think they have the good idea and intentions on some like yeah i feel like it's not like as harmful harmful as like uh the character of woozy from grand theft auto would be um yeah Oh, and <clears throat> just, like, to do some, like, wrapping up points. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that really stands out, especially in the game, uh, the the character, that, you know, the mercenary that we play as, um, requires, like, a lot of, like, enhancements or repairs, especially mm-hmm. getting hacked in, like, you know, viruses in the game. Um, and like, like, literal, like, computer-type viruses. Yeah, not like, <clears throat> I'm sick. Like, so it's interesting to see, like, you know the hoop she kind of or they cause, uh, we chose to play as a woman but yeah. um kind of like jumps through to like get those modifications mm-hmm. um and it's kind of like knowing someone and having to like you have to like have the connections um and i think that also like goes to stand for like we chose to play as v through a street kid standpoint so like yeah. it's not like they have as many uh resources as someone like the corpos would and so it's a lot of using connections to kind of on the down low figure out how you can get, you know, all of your cyberware fixed. Yeah. Um, and then also another thing that, like, you know, I didn't discuss, you know, in the large group, but the <clears throat> the police activity on the street is mm-hmm. insane. They're, like, unbelievably just, like, this authoritarian, like... yeah just like force that's like around the poor activity like yeah. poor community communities in the yeah. game yeah i think that goes to like near real world like yeah um you know places with higher crime rates are going to be densely populated areas with um lower incomes because lack of resources contributes and then also those areas typically have a higher police presence than other areas mm-hmm. and so i think that's really interesting and i also know um, some people have said, like, that this game is, I think, supposed to be somewhere in, like, Los California. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be, be similar to Los Angeles. Um, so, like, there is that history of... of police brutality of, and, yeah. and presence, especially in poor communities. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's... Yeah. Um, yeah. That also, I think, can go back to, like our gender representation discussion of police too. Yeah. Um, like all of these 
things, even though we're discussing, you know, disability and wealth and poverty separate from gender representation, it does not mean that they're not connected. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's definitely intersectionality and all that jazz. But yeah, no, it definitely, it plays a part in, you know, and something I would commend for the game, there's a lot of, and I really spend a lot of time just like listening to the dialogues of the side characters, which I normally don't do. I, yeah. I just blaze through games normally. But, like, listening to the side characters, you get so much more from the game. Mm-hmm. Especially hearing, you know, what the homeless characters have to say, what the female officers have to say, listening to, you know, just, like, the people just hanging out in the streets, bartering, and, you know, doing what they need to do to survive. It, yeah, it definitely makes the gameplay more fruitful. Um, more immersive, I, maybe? Yeah. Because you easily could just, like, skip through a lot of the side quests and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and, you know, having those options and actually doing it, it, you benefit more and learn more and gain more from the game if you do so. Yeah. Um, but. And, you know, that's actually how we found, like, a lot of these little details that mm-hmm. we're talking about. Um, yeah. 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 But thanks for listening. Thank you. Um, so